0: down on Israel, and God intervenes and protects Israel. See, in this dispensation, God didn't intervene. He left the authority up to the church. So if we look at all these things so that we can tell how close we are, the thought pattern has been, well, you can't tell when the Lord's coming back. Actually, you can if you can read. Just like the signs on the freeway tell you if you're going from Oklahoma City to Tulsa, you got 90 miles. The next sign says 80. next sign says 50. The signs bring you peace because you know you're getting toward your destination. Well, we have so many signs of the second coming, and the consensus has been you can't tell. Well, absolutely you can, and there's more verses written about it than anything in the Bible. Why would God go to so much trouble to give you so much information and then say you can't know? No, we actually can tell how close we are. I can't tell you the date, but I can tell you the season, and i got 50 signs to show you that we're in the season. So let's pick up what happened around Israel this last week. Many, many things keep happening that point to his return. Specifically, we talk about Benjamin Netanyahu got reelected as prime minister. When we shot last week, it was still tied between he and and Gantz. It was pretty too close to call. So the, probably the thing that happened the most of all that was dramatic on, on the northern part of Israel. You know, you have Syria and you have Lebanon, and you have Hezbollah inside of Lebanon getting missile equipment from Iran through Syria into Lebanon. Well, Israel has to keep stopping those convoys to the point that this last weekend Israel did another air attack in Masaf. Now it was it was such an attack on that's the scientific studies uh, place for for actually it's Iran in Syria you had missile production facilities destroyed right there you even had scientists from Belarus scientists from North Korea that are there retrofitting all those missiles that keep coming down there with specific uh, uh, guidance systems that are more precise so Israel just can't allow that to happen and went in took that out there was another attack up by. Aleppo, uh, right after that. So you have several different attacks. Now, this is what we talked about a few weeks ago. Russia threatened Israel. If they did that again, that Russia would retaliate and fire missiles into central Israel. Well, remember, one happened. It hit Mount Carmel. And the Israeli media said, well, it was an errant missile. Russia said, no, it wasn't an errant missile. We purposely fired that as a warning to you. This is about the fifth attack inside of Syria that Israel's had to do uh, with with Russia not doing anything. I love that President Trump warned Iran and Russia that America would form an umbrella along with Israeli airplanes just to keep uh, the Israeli airplanes safe. Pretty wild. You even have uh, the F-35 got deployed to the United Arab Emirates this last week. Now, that's such a a radical airplane that the S-300 and S-400 missile systems uh, can't detect it. These are the first airplanes of F-35s deployed in the Middle East, except for what Israel has. Israel's got quite a few, and they're almost going to have two uh, squadrons of them coming pretty soon. So the the F-35 is kind of a deal breaker there, so a lot's happening there. You have a new uh, uh, finding of natural gas off the shore of Israel. It's a huge deal. Now, these are some of the ones that keep happening. The anti-Semitism stuff keeps ratcheting up. You even have University of North Carolina. You have Duke having anti-Semitism marches and speeches. Too crazy. They said in France there's there's so much anti-Semitism against Christians and Jews, and the police are saying nothing against it. It's kind of bizarre. I was a little freaked out by what was said by the Vatican this last week. The Vatican said, soon the world will have no Western culture and it will all be Islamic. And, you know, the Pope came out saying, hey, Christianity needs to blend with Islam. Well, that's not going to happen, but these are things that you can see pointing to the tribulation and pointing to the Antichrist, trying to make one world religion one monetary system. The Pope said a couple years ago, we're ready for one monetary system, one world religion, and one world authority. Uh, I believe things are pushing toward that that will... Point to the coming of the Lord. So many more things keep happening in Israel. You had some activity on the Temple Mount. You had a fire uh, close to where the Dome of the Rock is. It was in one of the mosques. So they put it out quickly. Sad to see what happened at Notre Dame uh, the last couple of days. It's a good thing they got it stopped when they did. But the rise of anti-Semitism is what I, I can't go into so much detail about because there's so many of them. But, but crazy. Even our Congress uh, uh, congresswoman you know, from, from Minnesota said, we're going to cut aid to Israel. Uh, the other congresswoman that's a little crazy the democrat lady she said 9-11 something happened it wasn't really that bad downplayed what happened with 9-11 it wouldn't even call out what really happened so you're hearing this weird verbiage that's trying to make islam look good and christianity bad i do like that there was an area in syria that used to have an isis had a big hold that islam the muslim were were converting to christianity completely all over that village so good things are happening in the midst of all this bad stuff so you know for the church there is no bad news I heard one guy say, "Joe, if you talk about the coming of the Lord, you'll just get everybody's hopes up." I said, "Duh, that's exactly right. It's the hope that purifies us, even as we're pure." So let's look at the signs. The Bible is very, very, very specific. These are inarguable. Number one, Israel made a nation in 1948. Jerusalem went back in 1967. Jesus said, "The generation that sees those two events will not pass away until all is fulfilled." So in our lifetime, those have happened. But you got many more. We talk about it every week. You got the you got the Hebrew language restored because God said, "This is what." I'll do right for the coming of the Lord. You have the Ethiopian Jews that were brought back in one day, 18,000 airlifted. You've got the fertility of the land of Israel. you got the Temple Mount Institute. They're ready to start having sacrifices. This last year, they were able to have a sacrifice on the edge of the Temple Mount. Didn't get arrested. Last year, they got arrested. Amazing. Many more things. You've got the revival of the Roman Empire. You have the Capitol building in Strasbourg, France, that looks identical to the Tower of Babel. Uh, the the woman from the Book of Revelation is on their money. It's crazy. So you have that. you got all these things happening. But you go beyond that till you have men who will be lovers themselves who have selfie sticks. you got... Ezekiel prophesied there'd be fish in the Dead Sea. There's fish in the Dead Sea. Pretty wild. Uh, I like, probably my favorite is Aerosmith, Stephen Tyler got saved because when, when you start seeing that, you know the Lord's about to come back. Pretty crazy all these things happening. But even beyond that, you've got nature getting ready. You have 172 different species of predatory birds that start showing up in the land of Israel. I mean, you got the cleanup crew there because after the Ezekiel 38 war, God calls on the fowl of the air to clean the land up. Seven years later, at the Battle of Armageddon, he calls on the fowl of the air again. So you have that. You have the signals. Amazing. You have the signals of the coming of the Lord. You have blood red moons on Passover and Tabernacles. It is amazing to have them happening like that four in a row. NASA called it a tetrad. When's the last time you had four in a row on Passover and Tabernacles? 1967, when Jerusalem was won back. 1948, when Israel was made a nation. 1492 when the Jews were kicked out of Spain at the Edict of Expulsion. Pretty remarkable to have that. And then you have uh, the Bethlehem Star this last year, first time in 2,000 years. I like that the constellation at the birth of Jesus was Virgo. This last year, the constellation was Leo. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Amazing. So you have signs. you got signals. You have more. You had Mercury do fly by the sun. happens five times in a century. And the sun went directly down over the Temple Mount. The planets formed a sickle. The moon formed a sickle. And uh, the o- Orion changed his instrument to hammer. So you had hammer and sickle on the same day. That's right. So all these things are pointing to and the heavens are screaming, Jesus is about to come back. I mean, you can sense it on the inside of your heart. These signs are for the unbeliever, but the Lord's so sweet and so kind, he wants everybody to have a heads up. That's what he said. When you see these things, lift up your head for your redemption is drawing nigh. So we talk about this, for not an escape theology, it's a go for it theology. You see the finish line, you run faster. So what do you do? Help your local church, help your local pastor. Get the message out. This is it, Jesus is coming so soon. I hear people say, ah, oh, we've been hearing that all of our lives. You've been hearing that all of your lives because Jesus is coming. No other generation has had all the signs that we've had ever. We're very, very, very blessed. We'll come back next week. We'll pick up with where we were. We have that new series we wanted to talk, tell you about again, the End Time series in great detail because we have one that's three CDs, but then we have this next one that's 10 CDs. So super detailed on, on the second coming, the rapture, the, uh, the tribulation period. I don't get a chance to preach on the tribulation that much, but get into a little more detail about that. So if you want to order that, and my dog just gave us a great amen to order that. So he said, go for it. England said, get that series. So we should sure appreciate you watching this week. Have a blessed, awesome, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for joining us today at the end of day's update. If you'd like to be notified every time there's a new post, just go to the edu at josephmorris.com and subscribe to receive email alerts. If these posts and updates have been a blessing to you, please consider making a one-time donation to help get the message out, or even becoming a monthly partner with Joseph Morris Ministries. Thanks again for tuning in to the EDU, and we'll see you next week.
1: But while we're doing this uh, study on Revelation, or the study on the end times, I, I like to show that because uh, it just shows us how much closer we are to the end times. You know, uh, Brother Joe, is uh, um, he, he finds things out and, and brings things to light that, you know, we don't see in the, the national news uh, here in America. So it's really, uh, it really is amazing to see to see how much is happening and and this the it's the 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 way God designed this and and he knew this was going to happen but it is it is amazing to me how how many nations are coming against that one little strip of land in israel you know i mean it's it's crazy and and uh uh but i mean but it it was you know that's that's the way that that God said it would happen, and that's the way it's happening it's playing out amen um so the last the last few weeks we've been we've been studying about the rapture we looked at the rapture of the church we we looked at the scriptures pertaining to that um we we saw um you know what uh the last few weeks we've been looking at what's going to happen right after the rapture meaning what we're going to be doing because because right when the church gets raptured um you know we go to heaven and then we talked about the 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 judgment seat of Christ or the beam of seat of Christ and that's the reward seat where we'll get our our rewards. We look at those different there's at least five uh different crowns that we will that we will uh have the opportunity to to receive if, you know, depending on the depending on what we did with our lives down here. Um and then after the after the reward seat, um, you know, uh which will take I, I don't know how long it'll take. I mean, you know, um the thing that's the whole thing about uh with God there is no time like hours you know God's not up there looking at his clock thinking oh I got 30 more minutes you know Um, but the the whole thing is you know while this while the seven years is happening the seven-year tribulation period we're going to be in heaven with the reward seat and then and then I believe the marriage supper of the lamb will be right near the end of that and then that's when we come back with Jesus at his second coming now, last, we we last last week itself we we started looking at or we looked at the reason why there has to be a tribulation period. Somebody had asked me that. Why you know well why why does there have to be a tribulation? Why does why does all that have to happen? So we went back and looked last week at at uh, in in the book of Daniel about Daniel's seventieth week, the prophecy uh, that Daniel gave about the seventy weeks, and we counted. You know we saw how how he he went back to the books and counted and. And, you know, uh, God repaid them so far 69 weeks of that, uh, or 69, 69 of those, uh, the weeks, uh, one week equals seven years. He he repaid them 400, uh, 400 and, and what was it, 482, um, you know, years and then, or 493 years, I'm sorry. And then, so there's still seven years left that God owes um judgment for this for the nation of israel because of their sin because of their um you know where they where they uh fudged on on giving the land rest on the sabbath where they they didn't take that seventh year off so last week we looked at all of that this week i want to start getting into um the tribulation the tribulation period itself and stephen i've got a handout if you'll i should have handed these to you before sir i'm sorry and this is a handout on the tribulation period, and of course we're not going to look at all this tonight, but, so you'll have to bring this back and we'll have extra copies of it and stuff as well. <clears throat> but um, I'll let those get out now and then we'll talk about this. You know, now one thing we're not doing, we're not going like, we're not going like super, super in-depth on this. We're just kind of giving you guys an overview and a, a broad swipe of the brush, so to speak, and, uh, and if you're interested in doing more studies, man, I mean, this is one of those that, are really, um, that's, that really and truly is an amazing study. On the, on the front page, it says 19 at the top, the tribulation. Um, and it's just got a bunch of references, the Old Testament tribulation references, the New Testament tribulation re- references. And I thought that would be just a good, a good resource for you if you wanted to go back and read the scriptures that talks about this seven-year period. There is actually more... Scripture about this seven years than there are about any other seven years in the Bible, you know I mean so you can see how many scriptures and how many i don't know how many references there are here I didn't count them but but you know the the, the seven the the seven year tribulation period is talked more about in the scripture than any other time period, and the reason being I believe is because God wants us to know. Um, he wants us to be aware of the things that are going to happen, and He wants us to know, number one, first and foremost, He wants us to know how to miss it, <clears throat> how to miss that wrath. But number two, He just wants us to be aware of what's happening. You know, God doesn't, he, He's not a God who keeps us in the dark. Um, you know, He wants us to be aware. He wants us to know. And so, so um, you know, during this time, during this tribulation period, like I said, and, and it lists on here, like what it's called because you know you you hear it called the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, we looked at that last week. You know, Jehovah's strange work, Jehovah's strange act, the tribulation, the indignation, I mean, the wrath of God, the day of the Lord, the, the great day of wrath of the lamb of God. I mean, you know, all these different references to this time. And so this is a good resource for you to where you could go back and study it and read it and uh, and find out some more information uh, on that. On the flip side of that, the picture or the this other, the other side here, <clears throat> this kind of gives you a timeline for the tribulation period. This is like a seven-year, if, if you want to look at this, this is like a seven-year timeline. Right in the middle is, the, is the, the, the middle point, three and a half years. And you'll see that uh, <clears throat> we've talked about how the book of Revelation from, and we're going to start looking at chapter 4 tonight, just one verse in chapter 4. But from Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, until, like, Revelation 19 or 20, the church is not mentioned because, because the church, because I believe, and, and a lot of theologians believe, and we, we've looked at that about the difference between, we spent some time talking about how the different viewpoints of the end times. You have people that believe in pre-trib, which, which I'm a pre-trib believer. I believe the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation period begins. Then you have people that are mid-trib. You have people that are post-trib. Then you you have people that don't believe the church will ever be raptured that that we're going to live through the tribulation period you know and um, so you have all these different viewpoints but you know and and um, all of them you know you you can find scripture they all use scripture to back their point up the biggest thing to me and and we've we've said this over and over and and uh, I don't know that it'll come out again tonight but the most important thing for us to realize and when, when you're studying the Bible and when you're doing when you're doing st- when you're you know digging in deep and trying to figure out the meanings of things you know the most one of the most important questions to ask yourself is who is he talking to who is the script you know what who is this you know who is the author whoever whether it's Paul or John or Jesus or you know whoever's writing this what who's their audience because um, you know because if if he's talking to the Jews then what what he says to the Jews may not really pertain to us because When Jesus, for example, in in Matthew twenty-four, when Jesus gave the the, the Sermon on the or not the Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse, um, he was on the Mount of Olives, and when he gave that Olivet Discourse about the probably when Jesus talked the most about end times, you know, and he talked a lot about um, he talked a lot about you know how that's the scripture where it says one will be on or two will be on the roof, one will be taken, the other left, and one two will be in the field, one will be taken. Well, a lot of people used to pretend used to say that that was a scripture about the rapture. And how that you know one would be lost and one would be saved, but if you if you look at that scripture, he was talking to the Jewish people, and that wasn't a scripture about the rapture at all, that was actually a scripture about what's going to be happening during the tribulation period and you know so um, you know so you have to really you have to pay close attention to who 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 the audience is, so you 'll know whether that pertains you know to the church or whether that pertains to the nation of Israel, whether that pertains to You know who it pertains to and and how it works out. You know that's the reason so much. If you if you just read the if you just read the Bible at surface level, uh, it can be very confusing sometimes. Because and you'll even sometimes people even think, well, man, this contradicts itself. But if you did if you do just a little bit of study and a little bit of research in it, you'll you'll find out real quick that the Bible never contradicts itself, and that you know that that it, it just it does take some it does take some digging and it takes some work to understand some passages. But you can do that. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is our, um, that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our guide. He's our helper. And, and he's there to help us, you know, and he'll show and reveal himself to that. So this is a seven-year timeline, and we're going to start looking at, now the book of Revelation is, is some, of, some, of the, some of the scriptures, like in Isaiah, for example, sometimes Isaiah bounces around a little bit, and, and it's not necessarily in chronological order. For the most part, the book of Revelation is in chronological chronological order. You can you can start reading and read through, and it, it pretty much stays you know stays in time you know to like you know this is going to happen and then this is going to happen then this is going to happen this you know so you can read it pretty much uh, in time like that. So you can see here in Revelation six through eight, chapter eight, verse five, uh, the seven seals are open, and we're going to talk about that and what that is then in revelation 8 to revelation 11 the seven trumpets then the seven key figures um you know some people get introduced in in chapter 12 to 13 the woman and the dragon and the uh the male child you know and, uh, and all these things and and trust me you know when when I taught through the book of revelation I stayed away from revelations for a long time because I was like man this book confuses me you know but once you get into it and start understanding who who he's talking about uh man it's it's a it's a book that really that 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 to me brings great hope because it shows how, how long suffering our father is. And, you know, how that he doesn't want anyone to, to die and go to hell and, and he waits to the last moment for all of these things to happen. And he gives us the timeline and gives us the um, you know everything that's gonna happen. Um, and you know now last week we did, we did start talking about how that the 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 tribulation period it won 't start necess- it won't necessarily start the moment that the church is raptured, but what the Bible talks about that when the Antichrist comes on the scene that he will sign or he will he will help pull together a peace treaty with Israel and all the nations, and the moment that 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 contract is signed or you know that they that they all agree on that, that is when the tribulation period is going to start because the tribulation period is seven years and it's going to happen. Uh, in two segments basically <clears throat> it's going to be three and a half years uh, is, gonna, is what's called the tribulation period and then at the midpoint at the midpoint of the tribulation period after three and a half years the Antichrist is going rise, to rise up and go into the, the temple and he's going to set up a statue for himself and he's going to declare himself God and it's actually what, what Jesus called and other people have called the, the uh, desolation of abomination and it's when he declares himself as God and that's from the midpoint to the end of the tribulation. The Bible calls that the great tribulation. Because the, uh, these things that we're going to look at, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and then the seven bowls start there in the, uh, or vials or bowls. It starts like at the midpoint end. They get worse as they go. You know, some of the things we're going to look at tonight, we're going to look at the first four seals. I believe we'll get through that many. We're going to look at the first four seals that are opened up and and they're pretty bad. I mean, you know, I mean, some people say that, that it's already that some of the seals have already been opened. I don't believe so, because you know, when we read this tonight, you'll see that as a matter of fact, one of them, and, and the fourth one, I believe it is, that he has he has the power to kill one quarter of the population of the earth. I mean, you know, you're looking at eight billion people, roughly eight billion people on the earth today. That would be two billion people he would have the he would have the power to kill. Now, of course, the church will be gone, so that number won't be quite so high. But, I mean, you know, because the, the church will be a, a big part of that. But, but, you know, but still, even if it was a billion people, I mean, it, you know, when that seal is open, a billion people could be gone like that. You know, I mean, so, so these, are, these are, it's not little things, the first four. And then if you think uh, as it goes, it gets worse and worse. And as a matter of fact, Jesus himself even said in Matthew 24, he even said this. He said that if the days weren't shortened, that no man could have survived, you know. So I mean, it's going to be bad enough just to think. But Jesus Himself said that, man, if we don't shorten these days, um, you know, nobody would have survived. And of course, and a lot of people think, a lot of people think that that what Jesus was referring to there would actually be like nuclear war. Uh, you know, somebody's going to put off a nuclear bomb, and and you know, and if if God didn't intervene in it, it would it would destroy the whole earth. You know, I mean, but there because there will be people that make it through the tribulation period. There'll be a whole lot of people that die in the tribulation period, martyred and even you know uh, um, and killed during the tribulation period. But there will be people that make it through the tribulation period that live all the way through it, and God bless their souls. I mean, because they'll they'll need all the prayers we can get that, that they can get. Right? All right, let's look at the scripture here and uh, and let's let's get into this. Uh, Let's look at Revelation chapter four, verse number one, is where we'll start tonight. <clears throat> and like I said, what we're talking about is the is the tribulation period, and uh, and I want to show you to begin with. I just want to show you um, kind of what's going to happen at the very start of the tribulation period, and what's going to happen in heaven, what's going to happen, um, you know, in uh, you know what's going to happen as as this thing starts to unfold. So Re- Revelation chapter four verse one, I believe, is the scripture that shows where the rapture of the church happens, and this is John, and and of course John is like eighty, I think he's like eighty six or eighty seven years old. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's he's uh, you know in exile. He's pretty much in prison. He's put there to die. This is the last, of course, the last book that he writes, uh, and and uh, and he has this vision. If you remember, at the very beginning, Paul or John has this vision. And and in the middle of this vision, or or somewhere in this vision, chapter 4 comes in, and he says this, John said, After this I looked and I beheld a door that was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me which said, Come up hither, and I will show you the things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. So, so most most scholars and, and believe, especially those that believe in the pre-trib um, rapture of the church, would agree that this is the point here in Revelation chapter four, because from this point, from Revelation chapter four here to the end of to like Revelation nineteen or twenty, the church is not mentioned again. So everything that happens from this point forward. Uh, does not pertain to the church, per se, except for the description that he gives in heaven and what's happening in heaven. And I just want to read this just real quick, and I'm not going to make a lot of comments about it, but I want to read chapter 4 and 5 because this is, I mean, to me it's interesting about what happens at this moment. You know, So so John says he was caught up in the Spirit, he was in heaven, he saw a throne, and one that sat on the throne, verse 3. It says, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a... uh, a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight, like unto an emerald. Now that's an interesting thing because rainbows down here they have many colors in them, but one color they don't have is the the color of an emerald. And John said when he saw God sitting on the throne, and that's who he saw. He saw the throne of God in heaven. He said when I saw God sitting on the throne, he said John said the thing that stood one of the things that stood out to him as he wrote this was there was a rainbow coming out of heaven in the, the color of an emerald. And that's one thing you, you see and hear about people that have visions and die and go to heaven and different things like that. They talk about the colors and about the uh, the different things like that, that that are so much different than on the earth. They said the colors are so much more vivid and there's colors that they can't even, that we don't even have here on the earth that they see in heaven. That's a, That's an amazing thing, isn't it? So John saw this, this uh, rainbow round about the throne in the sight like an emerald. It says, Round about the throne were four and twenty seats or, or uh, thrones, that, you know, like a seat or a throne. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast was like a calf, and the third beast had the faces of man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Now I don't, I'm not going to take the time to teach all that, but that, I mean that that's some incredible things that he talks about here, and and I encourage you to go study that out and and. Uh, And, you know, because it's really an incredible, incredible study. It says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not. Now, here's the scene. Here's what's happening in heaven. This is the scene when John saw at the rapture of the church and what's going on. It says, And they rest not or days, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him who sat on the throne and worshiped him who liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are good, or for your pleasure they are and they were created. Man, what a scene that's going to be, you know, in, in heaven. And then, and like I said, I, we, could, we could get bogged down in that for months there. I mean, that's, that's a powerful chapter. But let's look at chapter 5, and this, this introduces the scroll, that the book or the scroll that's found in heaven. And then it starts, as we get down into chapter 6, it starts the start of the tribulation period. And John said this, he said, I saw in the right hand of him that was on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereupon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, Neither to look their own. So here John was. He's he's having this vision. He's seeing he's seeing what's going to happen in the future, and and he sees that God's got this book, and and it's written on the front and back, and it's rolled up. It's like a scroll, and it's sealed with seven seals. And that's just a practice that they did when when the king would send a letter or send something. They would they would he would put a he they would melt wax, and and he had a signature ring, and you know they would put a drop of wax on the on the page where it closed and then he would press his seal on there and and if it and once you opened it you could tell that it had been opened so if somebody was delivering it to somebody and it got there and it was open boy they were in big trouble because the king had instructions that only that person could open it so John saw that God was holding this book and he, and listen i mean just like all of us would we we would know that that book is important you know if god's holding this book so this big angel the strong he calls him a strong angel this strong angel lets out a decree and says, who is worthy to open the book? You know, and in other words, they're looking for somebody to open the book and nobody is worthy. Nobody's strong enough. Nobody, nobody has the authority to open this book. So John says, he, he said, I just started weeping. He said I, I, he said, I wept much because no one was able to open or to read the book, even to look on it. So then it says, and then one of the elders said unto me, weep not. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So here, an angel comes to John and says, look, don't weep. He says, now notice, this is very interesting because notice that he, he the description he gives of Jesus is both, uh, you have to remember, when Jesus came the first time, he came as a lamb. He came to be sacrificed. You know, and, and Jesus even said, he said, for this purpose I came, I was born. In other words, he was born to die. So he came the first time as a lamb. When he comes back the second time in his second coming, he's coming back as a lion. He's not coming back to be sacrificed again. He's coming back as the king of the jungle. <laughs> you know, He's coming back as the king of kings and lord of lords. So here the, the angel said, look, he said, Jesus, he says the lion has prevailed. He's the root of David, and, and he's given this description. And then when John looks at him, Notice how John, when John looked at him, he didn't see the lion. What did he see? He said, I saw a lamb as it had been slaughtered. In other words, he saw Jesus in his... I believe what, I believe what he saw and what he experienced. I believe he saw Jesus in his, in his glorified body, in his body that looked just like he did, but he knew that he was the, the lamb that was born and that had been sacrificed. You know, the angel described him as a lion... But here, when John saw him, he saw him as a lamb. And it says that he took the book out of his hand. And it says, that when he had ta- in verse number 8, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Man, notice that, that your prayers, the, up in heaven, our prayers are being stored. Isn't that awesome? And, and here they're getting ready to be poured out when Jesus takes this book because see here at this time this is a this is a triumphal triumphant period right now in heaven and it says in verse number nine it says and they sung a new song saying you are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof for you was slain and you have, you have redeemed us to God by the blood." out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Now notice this, the this is this is the new song. This is a song that only we can sing. The angels can't sing this song. Because we are the only ones that have been redeemed. So when he takes the book we, the church that had just been raptured, we're going to sing a new song to God and say, you're worthy to open the book. You're worthy to open the seals because you have redeemed us and you've made us kings and priests. And then notice what it says. It says, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, isn't that interesting? What's he talking about where he talks about we will reign on the earth? You know, although Jesus told us himself that we're kings and priests, you realize there's only three There's only three people or three different times that, that somebody is recognized as a king and a priest. The first one was Melchizedek. He says he was king and priest. The second one was Jesus himself. And then the third is the, the redeemed church. Man, that's awesome. And it says that Jesus made us kings and priests and that we will reign on the earth. And that will be what what he's talking about here at this point. That will be when we come back with him and we go through the, the millennial reign with him, we will reign on the earth as kings and priests, just like we're, I believe, just like we're reigning here on the, uh, you know, on the earth today. And then verse 11, that's a whole other story. We'll get, we'll get there in the millennial reign, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Then in verse 11 it says, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, ...and thousands of thousands. That's over a hundred billion. Think about that. That, that, number, that, or that number, if you take 10,000 times 10,000... ...and thousands of thousands, that number is over 100 billion. That's a lot of people. And here's what they were saying with a loud, vo- vo- with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches... ...and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing... And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. Wow, what a scene that's going to be, you know. And here's the awesome thing. You and I are going to be there. When we watch this, when when we get to heaven and we see this, it's going to be like deja vu because because we've already seen. John saw what's going to happen, and he told us about it. And when we get there, we're like, man, I feel like I've been here before. <laughs> you know, but it's going to be because we've seen, we've, we've read this, we've seen it. So, and, and like I said, man, we could do a lot of teaching on that, but I want to, you know, we're just kind of just giving you a broad overview here. So verse or chapter six gets into when the seals of this book starts to be opened. And here's what he said in chapter six, verse number one. And he says, And I saw, and I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And when I, and I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So notice, notice that when the first seal was opened, what John saw was a white horse and a rider on the white horse, you know, somebody was on the white horse. Now, I've heard it preached, I've heard that this was Jesus, you know, that... <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> that this rider on the white horse could be Jesus because in Revelation 19, you know, the Bible says Jesus is going to come back on a white horse. But it can't be Jesus because Jesus is the one opening the seals, right? So he's opening the seals and, and a white horse gets released and the rider comes on the white horse. Now notice what he has. The Bible says he has a bow and the Bible says that he's given a crown. Now, It's interesting because the word crown. See, because here's another one of these situations. If you don't dig a little bit deeper, you might you might not really, uh, you know, you might you might you you'll miss things if you don't dig a little bit deeper in things. Because in Revelation 19, the Bible says that Jesus is coming back on a white horse and that he has a crown. Well, the two words for the crown in Revelation 6 and Revelation 19 are two totally different words. In Revelation 6, the word for crown. Is actually uh, or, or s- Stephanus, like the word Stephen. The name Stephen means a crown, and and this crown, this and this crown that is given to this to this rider of the white horse is actually like a victor's crown. It's a crown uh, of somebody who's won a military battle or who's won a uh, you know won a, a, at an event or something. In Revelation 19, when when the Bible says that Jesus has a crown. That crown is like the, the king's crown. It's a crown of somebody who has authority to rule and to reign. It's not just the victor of a, of, a, of a contest, but it's like it's a king's crown. So see, those are two totally different crowns. And so, so the, the rider here that he's talking about on this white horse would be my, just my opinion and, and many others as well, but this I believe this will be the Antichrist. Because he's noticed that he has a bow, but the Bible doesn't say anything about him having arrows. So he has he has the threat of he has the threat of um, you know the threat of war, the threat of of doing things, but he has no power behind him at this point. And it's interesting too. Now this is this is a just something I heard this years ago, and and I found this interesting. The word, uh, the word bow, now a lot of people picture that being like a bow and arrow, that he has a bow and arrow, but the Bible doesn't say that he has any, any arrows with him. But it is interesting that this word bow is actually the exact same word that comes from the exact same root word as the word rainbow in Genesis chapter 6. When in, or Is it Genesis 6 where, where Noah, the story of Noah, and God gives Noah the rainbow as a token of the covenant? And this is the exact same root word as rainbow. And so it could be, and I, and I don't know, I mean, I, you know, uh, some people will say this and some people, some people will say it's a bow and arrow. Then other people will say, well, you know, you know just like Noah had the, to- <clears throat> the token of a covenant when he saw the rainbow, he knew that that was a covenant he had. Well, what is the Antichrist bringing? You know, when he, when he comes on the scene, what is it that he's going to be doing? He's bringing a covenant right he's bringing a peace covenant between Israel and all the other nations so could it be that here the antichrist is released and remember we saw in 1 Thessalonians where it says that that what i believe is the church or the holy spirit it says that the antichrist can't be released until we are out of the picture we we are restraining we're hiding we're keeping back the power of the antichrist right now but when the holy spirit and the church is is lifted and the church age ends and the tribulation period begins then then you know that that the whole dynamic changes and then the Antichrist is gonna come on the scene with power and and he's gonna he's gonna have the power to make that covenant he's gonna be man you can do a study on the Antichrist and there's there's an there's amazing scriptures in the word about him he's gonna be like he's gonna be uh, the, the one of the best looking men he's gonna be one of the smartest men He's gonna he's gonna be political and economic and I mean all of these different areas he is gonna be the smartest and the best and people people are just gonna fall in love with him and as a matter of fact you know that they would have to for him to be able to bring everybody to the table to sign a peace agreement you know so so he is gonna be somebody that somebody that just checks all the boxes for everybody now isn't it interesting jo, Joseph Morris mentioned this and we're seeing this. Um, you know, in the in the news more and more. But isn't it interesting that the Roman Church? What are they doing? The Roman Church right now is is bringing the Romans or the the Catholic Church and the Muslims, and they're trying to unite them. You know, and saying that we have to accept each other. We have to come into into unity. <clears throat> I saw um, he was talking about the anti-Semitic language. You know, one of the one of the senators, one of these new senators. Uh, lady senators that's in the uh that's in the, the senate today she just made a comment i think she made it last week or something I, I saw it for the first time today but here's here's a comment she made she she made this comment she said that she said i am she said i am more palestinian when i'm in the halls of congress than i am anywhere else now think about that in the us senate she says i'm more palestinian than i than i am anywhere else i mean you know, you're t- I mean, you're talking about there. You know, people. Everybody always said that America could never fall from without. That it, that if America fell, it would have to fall from within. In other words, rising up against each other, and that's exactly what we're seeing happen right in front of our eyes. I mean, you know, our, our nation needs our prayers. Amen. So the first horse, the white horse, is is the Antichrist, I believe, and he, and he comes out and. Uh, notice a couple of scriptures. Look at Daniel chapter eight, and just these are just like two scriptures that I found interesting uh, out of Daniel. Daniel chapter eight and uh, verse. Let's see, verse twenty-five. And Daniel here is talking about the the antichrist, and he says this. He says, and through his policy also he shall he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart. Now, look at this phrase right here. And by peace shall destroy many. You know, usually when you see the word peace, you think that peace will save people. But here, notice that he says, Daniel prophesies and says that by peace, the Antichrist is going to destroy many. How's that going to happen? Because he's he's signing the peace contract, the peace covenant, and then three and a half years into that peace covenant, he's breaking it, and it and and then he's going to start killing people. So by peace he destroys many. He shall also stand up against the prince of uh, the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. I mean, you know, so so you can see that, uh, man. I mean, he that just to me that's an amazing statement. By peace he's going to destroy many. Then look at chapter nine verse twenty seven and and here's it tells what the, what he's going to do uh, chapter 9 verse 27 and we saw this last week but but he says uh, Daniel said this and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease and for the overspread and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even unto the uh consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So there tells what he's going to do. He'll confirm or he'll enact the covenant with many for that one week, for that seven year period. But then in the middle, in the middle of that week, he's going to break it and cause the the uh, abomination of desolation, which basically means he's going to desecrate the temple and he's going to make offerings of sacrifices to himself on the temple, on the altar of the temple, and just bring ruin to the temple. You know, and then cause all kinds of things to happen. So that is the introduction of the Antichrist, and the he, and he rises to power here in the, the very first of the tribulation period. And you remember that he uh, that for a period of time, um, you know, he is just he is just uh, uh, influenced by Satan. But at the midpoint of the tribulation period, when he, you know, when he flips the switch and and he goes bonkers, that's when Satan actually literally possesses him. And Satan, goes, Satan himself goes into his body, and for three and a half years, Satan is, is out there causing as much destruction as he can in, the, in a human body, just like Jesus was in a human body for three and a half years. You know, I mean, so Satan is always trying to, to, to duplicate or always trying to, to pervert what Jesus did. So just like Jesus was in a human body for three and a half years for his ministry— then Satan will be in, in in the Antichrist's body and that person, whoever that is, uh, for three and a half years bringing destruction. And, and we, as we get a little bit further, we'll see that scripture and we'll talk about that. So that was the white horse. That was the first one. Then notice the second one here. It says, and when he had opened the second seal. Now, we don't know. Uh, John doesn't tell us how much time lapse happens between these seals opening. You know, we know by this picture that I gave you, we know that the seals and the trumpets... Are going to be blown before the midpoint of the tribulation so so you know this has to happen in a three and a half year time period but it could be that that the first seals open and it might be a couple months before the next seals open or I mean it very well could be that they're open one right after the other you know we don't know the time frame some of it we know that there has to be some time in it just because of of what we're getting ready to see here but so the first one was the Antichrist is released and and i believe that's just a picture of him being released into the into the world to you know to start his uh, what he's going to do then in verse number 3 it says and when he opened the second seal i heard the second beast say come and see and there went another ho- there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another And there was given unto him a great sword. So the second horse was a red horse, and he had the power of war, of war. Because it says that his power was to remove peace. Well, what happens when when you remove peace? There's war. And it said, now notice here, notice what happens, because this is interesting. It says that he had the power to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. So that's going to set man against man and he's going to bring war the red horse is going to the rider of the red horse is going to bring war to the earth and it says that they're they're going to kill one another and and they were given to him a great sword which of course is a weapon of war now what is the what is the outcome of war one of the greatest outcomes of war in other words when you have a major war what's the next thing you have in that in that area of of the world where that war happens it's going to be famine right? It's going to be, I mean, because, you know, if everything gets destroyed, there's not going to be the food supply. The grocery stores are not going to be open. The, you know, the food trucks aren't going to be driving because there's, you know, there's war and everybody's, everybody's killed everybody. And, and, you know, you, you even look at even like the wars we've seen in our lifetime, you know, the Iraq war and the, and different things. And you see when, when they go in and bomb them cities and man, they, they take out the power grids and they take out the infrastructure and they take all that stuff out how how do the people get food you know how do they get how do they get the supplies they need you know so the natural thing that's going to happen after a war would be famine well the the very next horse verse number 5 the very next seal you'll see this it says and when he in verse 5 says and when he opened up the third seal I heard the third beast say come and see and I beheld and lo a black horse and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, "A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that you hurt not the oil and the wine." So what he was saying there, in John's day, you know the measure that he was talking about there, he said that it will take, it will take a whole work day, a whole, time, a whole pay period to pay for one loaf of bread. You know and then and then the same thing with the barley and the wheat, but he says that he's not touching the oil and the wine. you know so so these as these things get released, notice that they only have power to do certain things. You know, they're only given power to do this or to do this, and you know so so the first thing is the antichrist is released, the second the second horse, the red horse that comes out, the power of war is in his hand, and he causes war, then the black horse is released. When the black horse is released and the rider that's on him he has a great you know he it, you know he has a set of balances in his hand and and famine hits the land now here's something else we have to realize too this this may not happen all of this is is probably and I'll, I'll say I'll say this probably all of this is going to happen um, like over in the over in the Middle East in that area like these things may not you know these things may not necessarily happen on American soil. You know, there's because they're they're if you'll notice as we start going through this, you'll notice that they're they're restricted in what they do and what they're what they you know, what's going to happen. But how many of you know that when disasters happen, when things happen, it affects everybody? You know, it's not just going to affect just just them. It'll affect people worldwide. You know, but but here so so this is the third horse that's released and a famine is going to hit the land. But then notice here, verse number 7, and we'll finish up with this one tonight. He says and when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse. Now the pale horse, this is like a um most uh, three or four of the commentaries I, I read uh about this this word pale means like a they there was I I heard three or four people describe it as vomit green. <laughs> you know, it's like if you think of like, you know, like a uh, you know, just it's just a puke green color. You know, a pale horse. It says, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Now here, now this one is where you know where it starts to get uh, you know worse and worse as they go. And it says, and uh, his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. Wow. So the when the when this pale green horse is released, death is on him, and then hell follows right, be, right behind him. And it says, it says, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the, and with the beasts of the earth. So here when the, when the fourth horse is released, this pale green horse, death and hell is released. Now notice this is interesting because death and hell is a picture of both the natural and the spiritual. Death being to the natural man, hell being spiritual, and he's released. When he's released, he's released with another great sword and said he's given power over one fourth of the earth to take their lives. So, so say there was a, you know, a billion people, you know, left at this point. Two hundred and fifty million of them. They had the, this fourth horse, and like I said, remember as these as these things go on, they get worse and worse. So here, I mean, this fourth horse, this is just the beginning of the tribulation period. This fourth horse has the power to kill a, a quarter of the population, and notice how he said he 's going to do it because because this these tie in hand to hand it's not like they're separate; they all go together. It says that he had the power over a fourth a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword with hunger. Well, you remember famine is in the area, so he's killed with 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 the sword, with hunger. And with death and with the beasts of the earth. So, so even the wildlife gets involved in this and starts killing people. Man, I mean, aren't you glad that we're not going to be here? You know, if you know Jesus, praise the Lord, you're not going to be here. Amen. So, so here, this is, now you've probably heard this the four horses of the ap- apocalypse. You know, this is the four horsemen. This is who this is. The first one was the Antichrist, the second was war, the third was famine. And then the fourth was death and hell. And, you know, so you can see, um, you know, this is the reason, like, when you see this and when you study this out, you can see that I, I am firmly convinced that this is not God's plan for the church. You know, I mean, this is not, he's not pouring his wrath out on the church. You know, his wrath is being poured out on those that rejected him. Now, there will be a lot of people that actually probably the greatest revival that, the greatest revival that we that the earth will ever see will probably be uh, will probably be after the rapture of the church because all the people that thought that they were ready all the people that thought that they had a relationship with Jesus thought they were thought they could just live their life any way they wanted to live and they realized the church is gone you know i don't i don't know i personally don't think they'll be turning the other way and and running away from god i think they're going to be doing everything they can do to get to god and you know, and 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 we're going to see as we go on into this in the next couple of weeks, these next these next plagues or these next seals that are opened up, you know, um, and and actually the next one uh, we'll just read this and we'll talk about it next week, but we'll just end with this. But notice even the next seal, in uh, verse number nine, he says, and when the and when he had opened up the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And it says, White robes were given unto them, every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Wow. So the fifth seal, when the fifth seal opens up, he sees all the martyrs under the altar and they're crying out for vengeance. But what did he say? He, he heard a voice that told him, says, you you have to wait, wait a little, just stay and rest a little bit longer until all of those that are going to be martyred during the tribulation period until that time's fulfilled. And then my vengeance will be poured out. So there's going to be a whole lot of martyrs happen in the tribulation period. Because remember at the, when, when the antichrist comes in and And sets up his system and says, you have to take the mark of the beast in order to buy and sell. And and if you don't bow down and worship me, I'll kill you. When all of that happens, you know, because the Bible says those that take the seal, the the mark of the beast, are sealed forever to destruction. They, they, They can't go to heaven if they take the mark of the beast. So that's a, I mean, that is a, you know, a big choice. And those that don't take the mark of the beast, they'll either die or they'll be martyred. You know, unless they can make it through the the you know three three and a half more years or whatever, maybe they got a stockpile or or they can find food or whatever the case may be, and uh, and we'll talk about what what happens with that. But anyway, so that that that'll give you a little primer for next week as we as we open up the fifth seal and talk a little bit more about that. But man, as you can see, like I said, um, this is not jump up and down, run around the seats, kind of you know, amen, go get them, pastor. You know, top sermons, but. But this is what's going to happen after the church is raptured. And, and, you know, when you learn this and when we understand what's going to happen, it should give us, you know, just like Joseph Moore says every week, you know, we're not in this escape theology, but, but what do we do as, as we see the time approaching? Man, jump in even harder. Witness harder. Go tell people more about Jesus more than you ever have before. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. And the rapture of the church is coming. And the tribulation period is coming. You know, and I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody. I want to go through that. I mean, I want all my loved ones to be with me. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to look down here and find find any of my family or any of my friends or my neighbors having to go through the tribulation here because I didn't tell them about Jesus. Amen. So we, you know, it, it should spur us on to 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 encourage our friends and our neighbors to live their lives for Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Any questions or anything before we go tonight, real quick? Yeah, that's fine. If you want to do that, that's fine. (laughs) Oh, it is. Sure, there is. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, we'll I, we'll talk about that next week because there is an answer to that. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because it is. is and like I said, to be honest with you, I'm not going super deep into it because you you can get bogged down in this, and we could. Like I said, it took me it took me over a year to go through Revelation verse by verse. You know, I mean, so uh, it took us fifty six weeks you know, to go through it verse by verse. And so uh, so you can really get, I mean, you can get in some detail. And a lot of it goes over my head. I mean, I don't, listen, I'm by no means I'm an expert or a, uh, <laughs> you know, know-it-all on this because I, I learn every time I study, I'm like, wow, I never saw that. You know, I didn't know that. And, uh, you know, so it's very interesting. You know, like you said, it's fa- it fascinates me. I mean, you know, uh, and, 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 and it goes back to even what we talked about Sunday about how precise God is. You know, I mean, these things are going to happen just like he wrote it out. And, you know, I mean, and it's just right down to the very dots, you know, the periods and the dotting our I's and crossing our T's, you know. I mean, that's an amazing thing. So, amen. All right. Anybody else, real quick? And then we'll pray. Um, so, remember, we got a lot going on this weekend. So, if you can make it Friday night for the Passion of the Christ Saturday, uh, Easter egg hunt and brunch, and then, of course, Sunday. Uh, Ten o'clock for uh, for our Easter service. So I hope you, hope to see you guys a lot this weekend. Okay, let's pray and then we'll we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Um, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the scripture, Lord, that we can open it up and and just and find uh, find the uh, the truth of your word and what and what you're doing and and what you have in store for us and uh, and the earth, Lord. And we just thank you for that revelation, for knowledge to know to understand it. And uh, we, give you, we give you all the praise and glory for all that you're doing, Father. You are so, so good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.